We're on the phone right now with Jeff Stein of KXEL in Waterloo. He's program director, news director, chief cook, and bottle washer, I believe, at the station. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us today. I also take out the trash uh, once a week, Dustin. Always good to talk to you. (laughs) So obviously, you know, you you are very involved in politics in the state, and of course that also funnels your attention across the country as well. And today being Election Day, I know you're gearing up for a long day. Um, First of all, tell us a little bit about what goes on in Jeff Stein's world on an Election Day. Well, much of the work you do in advance because you need to figure out which are the key races that are going to be of interest to your audience. That's made uh, a little more challenging this year because this is the first election after reapportionment. So all the districts, whether it's Iowa House, Iowa Senate, U.S. House, they have different boundaries, uh, some cases different numbers. And so you've got to figure out who the players are, get your scorecard ready, And then it's a matter of really waiting, like the candidates, until the evening. Uh, Very few public appearances are done by candidates on Election Day. Sure, there's still plenty of ads, but uh, this is the home stretch. And so I basically make it a practice of voting in person on Election Day. I will take time away from the radio, make sure that I cast the ballot on Election Day, usually go and either have a late breakfast or an early lunch, and uh, that's just part of the tradition, and then you just get ready to see what comes. Yeah, and that's kind of what I do, too. I always vote in person. That's just something I've always done since I started voting in a one-room schoolhouse, and I'm not even that old, but that's how far back it went in my rural district. Uh, We still voted in the uh, township school district house. Uh, you know, we talked. you talked about ads, and, and that's one thing. It's kind of leading into what I want to talk about today, and that's just the the constant rancor we see. And this is on both sides of the aisle, and you see political ads put out that are on behalf of a candidate but not necessarily endorsed by the candidate from, like, the PACs and from different special interest groups. But why has it seemed that we hardly, and I mean truthfully, hardly ever get an ad that says why you should vote for a person, but rather just totally tearing down the other side of the of, of the equation. I mean, what have you seen in your extensive uh, you know knowledge and experience in the election cycles? It seems worse because of the volume, and I don't just mean how loud and shrill they are. I mean the number of ads, and you pointed out one of the key things. The political action committees, the entities not tied to a campaign, they can spend whatever they want to spend. And so you get this huge volume of ads, and they have no reason to do anything other than win. And sadly, what it seems like is that even though we hate negative ads, we respond to them. So these political action committees, they want to win, they go negative, it pays off for them. One of the things with regard to volume is the fact that we will see more than $9 billion being spent this year nationally on campaign advertising. That is a record, not just for a midterm, but for any cycle. And one of the things that's fascinating about that is a lot of folks think radio and TV stations get rich this time of year, not really because the federal government has limitations on how much a station can charge. And it makes sense from a fairness standpoint, if you think about it, if I run a radio station and let's say that I am a fan of the purple party as opposed to the yellow party, and Dustin Hoffman is a candidate for the yellow party, 
it's not fair for me to charge him three times the amount that I would charge the Purple Party candidate. We have to charge the same amount, and it has to be the lowest rate that we give to any other advertiser. So yes, there's money being made by broadcasters, but it's not as much as you might think. And the rules are there for a reason, but again, record spending, the sheer number of ads, and the fact that apparently people respond to negative ads even though they deny doing so when asked directly about it. You know, and that was the question I get. I mean, I hear so many people complaining on social media, you know, saying that, hey, another mudslinging ad is what I need, said no one ever, but yet we are responding to it. We are, we're, you know, making our, scarily enough, people make their decisions just off those ads without doing any research but this is nothing new either. So, I mean, what is it about the human spirit that wants to, to tend to believe the worst in everything? Well, it makes you feel better about yourself. If you can tear down someone else, then any of your own failings are not as bad. And so I think that's part of it, too. That's why reality TV shows are so popular. Because if we're sitting at home watching someone's life unravel on television, then ours doesn't seem as bad by comparison. That's not a positive thing. That's nothing to be proud of, but it, it's part of the, the human experience these days. And you add that to the fact that we all now can communicate our thoughts broadly. It used to be that if you had an opinion, you'd say it to your wife, your coworkers, friends on the phone, that was it. Now you put it on Twitter and Facebook and a hundred other social media sites. And even if nobody sees it, you feel validated because you yourself see it. And you can say things on there you wouldn't say in person, so it really plays to the more negative side of an individual. It's sort of like if you wouldn't say it to someone's face, maybe you shouldn't put it on social media. But yet we forget that. And that's why the discourse just continues to be less about issues, less about substance, and much more about pettiness and personality. You know, and last thing I want to ask about attack ads, and maybe you've got some insight into this, but couldn't, in theory, a candidate talk to their supporters and say, listen, I don't want to run a negative campaign. I understand you want to spend money on my behalf, but I don't want to see it. Can they have that kind of say, and would it make a difference if they did? I don't think it would make any difference because every candidate says they're going to run a positive campaign until push comes to shove. And the rules state that the candidates are not to be associated with or have contact with any of these political action committees. We know that that's probably ignored or violated more often than not, but there's not supposed to be contact. I suppose you as a candidate could make a big public statement that will disavow the negative ads run by this group that's trying to support you. But in doing that, what have you done? You've made even more people aware of the negative ad. And so that seems a little uh, disingenuous as well. So, you know, when we look at these election cycles, obviously we know in 2020, 2016, there was a lot of controversy over how results panned out, who was involved, was there hacking, was there new ballots found? And I'm not here to debate either side of those, but we this everybody's like oh things have gotten so terrible but when you look back at history and i'm doing that just this morning again just kind of reaffirming and reacquainting myself with the ones i knew this is nothing new in american politics to have this kind of controversy over an election and and seeing elections decided 
outside of the hands of the people. Oh, you've got the presidential election of what was it, 1870, I think it was. Uh, and, you know, the, it is not unique for us to have concerns or issues raised about propriety of voting. I mean, that is historic. The reason it is worse now, we think, is because of the fact that our elections appear to be closer. We are more divided than ever. And that's not just between Republicans and Democrats. A healthy number of us are political independents. And so it is harder to predict how an election will go when you've got three bodies of voters, Republicans, Democrats, and non-affiliated or independent voters. You can't predict it. You don't know how it's going to turn out. The independents do not have loyalty to one party or another, even though they may lean one way or another. That has led to increasingly close elections. There has always been some measure of fraud. There has always been some measure of human error to be positive about it as opposed to nefarious. But when you've had errors of 10 or 15 votes being miscounted in the past, it didn't matter because the margin of victory was in the thousands. When you can see an entire congressional district in Iowa, as was the case two years ago, was decided by six votes. Six. No one was disputing the accuracy of the count. They had some concerns about whether ballots should have been uh, allowed in or not because the state law was either not as clear as they'd like, et cetera. But the bottom line is no one argued about the count. But when it gets down to six votes, sure, then you could really change an election by those things that in the past were just absorbed as, if you will, a rounding error, so to speak. You know, when you talk about the concern over election fraud, I mean, there's things we've been discussing for, for several election cycles, you know, one of them being, you know, people asking about voter ID, some people not wanting them, and we could go into the back and forth on that, and also the val validity of the Electoral College, you know, and, and, you know, people in the larger cities tend to think, well, we should get rid of it, but the people in the rural areas like Iowa will say, no, we need it to, to keep a balance in the voting system, so my vote counts as much as somebody else's. But why is it that we're seeing such a, a call for voter reform, you know, seemingly more now than we have in the past? Is it because of the of the, you know, the, the fact that we've got a louder voice thanks to social media and or that there's more chances of machines getting it wrong or people getting it wrong or just a general mistrust in general? Well, I think we are a much more skeptical and cynical society, Dustin, than we have been in the past. And so that's a very good point. I mean, we we uh, see a lottery drawing is delayed. And instead of thinking, oh, good, they want to make sure everything is on the up and up. I'm sure most people holding that winning ticket, what they think is a winning ticket, are thinking that somebody is trying to mess with the system. We always tend to think of the worst in these situations. And that's just become part of our human experience. And again, it's nothing we should be proud of. The, the proliferation of social media outlets, cable news outlets, podcasts, I mean, all these ways to communicate, well, what that means is that the Electoral College is an issue not just once every four years. It's not some archaic thing and people forget about it. There are enough ways to keep stirring up these issues 365 days a year that it then becomes 
much more important in some people's mind. It elevates it in the public discourse. And there you go, where things that would have died down just are not allowed to die down. They continue to be big issues or made issues when really there, there wasn't much there to begin with. But it can be amplified by all number of tweets and retweets and reposts and podcast uh, hits that you might have. You know, and, and that kind of leads me into another part. You know, we talked about obviously media doesn't make the money on this. You have to, there are so many rules on equal time, equal amounts of, of charging, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, with the advent of podcasts, which don't have to be necessarily factual, they can be opinionated. Some of them are obviously trying to establish themselves as factual, but there's slanted uh, you know, obviously the claims of slanting of the cable news networks, and it can go both ways on either side of the aisle on that argument. But why is it, and we and we also heard, and, and Jeff, I know it probably frustrated you like it did every other journalist who who fancies himself, you know, to be, to have some integrity as the fact that we are, you know, accused more and more often of manufacturing the news than reporting the facts. I mean, obviously, it's a stemmed back from years and decades gone by. I mean, you can go to the Civil War and see the reporters on either side of the aisle or either side of an argument slanting their news. But why does it seem to be more mistrust, especially, um, and, and that divide is different, you know, from the national news networks compared to our local news networks? It is interesting that if you do surveys, you'll find that, People who watch television or listen to the radio trust their local sources more than the national sources. Why? Well, that's just two and three and four layers removed. It's the same polling that would say that the average citizen hates Congress but loves their member of Congress. And so we're a little conflicted ourselves. But to your other point, the media was never in this country independent and unbiased until the last hundred years ago or so, if you think back to Revolutionary War times, you would consume multiple newspapers or broadsheets, and they all would tell you exactly what side they were on. They were not trying to be impartial. They were getting their own views out. You'd consume multiple ones and yourself sort through it all and figure out what, quote, the truth was. When we got to the 20th century and we got broadcasting, and in this country, federal regulation of the licenses, the federal government said to those license holders of radio and TV stations, radio first than TV, you have to do fair and unbiased public affairs reporting. The airwaves are a public trust. And that's why the broadcasts were designed to be neutral. And newspapers sort of followed suit, although you still see papers that are called the Globe Democrat and the Times Republican, and that ought to give you an idea of their political slant on the editorial pages. But all of American media, because of broadcasting, needing to be neutral, everybody moved toward a more neutral platform. But now that we have all these cable outlets, they're not held to those same standards. Podcasts, to your point, aren't. And so now we notice it more because it's actually a reversion to how things were in this country leading up to 1920. So as we get ready to wrap up here today, Jeff, and a little great conversation, obviously there are people out there who will say, hey, my vote doesn't matter. But whether that's because of the Electoral College, whether it's because they believe there's election fraud or whatever else. 
how can we help dispel that, especially as from our position in the media, but just in general, you know, as, as citizens of the country, how can we help dispel that or help? how can we help say to people that, yes, your vote does matter, and the louder your voice, you know, the, the, the more you're probably going to get heard. If you don't vote, you've given up. And this representative democracy, this republic is too important and won't function if people just give up. That's the short of it right there. Uh, If you think that everybody you're going to vote for is going to lose, vote for them anyway. If you think everybody you're going to vote for is going to win, will show up anyway. Because, again, our elections are so close because we are divided. Again, you just go back two years ago and you've got a congressional race decided by six votes. That's one carload of people, right? So it's it's too important to let these things pass by. So many people fought and died for our right to self-govern. If we don't take advantage of that, then all of the rest of it is lost. You know, with rights come responsibilities. We have the right to vote, and we need then to exercise responsible judgment in casting an informed ballot. Okay, so that's Jeff Stein with KXEL, uh, Waterloo, Cedar Rapids. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to, to give us your insight into how the politics work, and, and, and hopefully uh, you'll have an easy night, but the uh, way things go, as you said, with narrower counts, we may have a long couple nights here until things are finally decided. Always a privilege to talk to you, Dustin. Always appreciate talking this topic.